I've got a funny story about St. James's Park. Would you like to hear it? Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Uh, yeah, sorry about the no-show last week. The news was just too much for us. We spent much of the time leading up to it, biting nails, staring into space and sleeping fitfully. We were worried that we might not get the type of conclusion that would be right for mankind, the type of conclusion that would allow us to look forward to a brighter future. And although he may not be to everyone's tastes, we here at One Football Podcast feel much better about the world now that Cristiano Ronaldo has signed a new deal with Real Madrid. Here to talk about all of that is Andre Gonzalez. Hello. Fabian Gorsler. Hey. And this is very special. For the first time in one football podcast history, it's Nick McKenna-Klein. Good morning. From Deutsche Welle. TV star, <laughs> nonetheless. Far more famous than any of us. <laughs> it's not that difficult. It's really not that difficult. No, no not at all. No. Okay. The bar is quite low. The bar is very, very yeah. low. Yeah. Uh, before we get dug into the football chat, let's have a quick word with our listeners. Could you please, please, please go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and leave plenty of comments, nice or naughty, to let us know what you think. It would really, really mean a lot to us. And if you do, Trump said the first thing he would do is resign and we'd get Obama back. And I think that's a pretty good deal. A pretty good deal. Shall we have a quick word about it? Anybody? Four more years, that's all I have to say. Four more years. (laughs) (laughs) Democracy in action, eh? Less votes and wins the race. What Trump did is uh, absolutely astonished. I don't think... The only time I said something about about the old thing was when he announced that that was was running for president. I said, come on, this this is just ridiculous. And uh, let's not take this seriously. And uh, probably there was a problem. No one took that seriously. And now this is a disaster, really. Well, if any country was ever going to elect a reality TV star as president, it would be the United States for sure. It's always going to be America. It was all for personal gain, really, at first. I mean, looking at it now, if you just look at Trump when he's in front of the camera, in front of a microphone, he looks absolutely petrified. It is. Oh shit! What have I done? <laughs> yeah, it, is. it, it suddenly realized that the, this stunt was way uh, far beyond what whatever he was thinking of. Probably Trump TV or something. And now he's realizing, oh shit, this is real. Yeah, this is happening. What should I do now? So, yeah. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> Good luck to all of us over the next four <laughs> years. We're going to need it. Here, look, now that we've got that nasty Trump and that nasty international business out of the way, it's time to get back to the bump and grind of league football. And boy, oh boy, do we have a special weekend for you. Starting, of course, with Der Klassiker. What a silly name that is, eh? <laughs> a silly name. But how big is that rivalry, actually? Um... Well, it's only been a rivalry for the, like, the last two decades. Um, Dortmund, when they first won the t- their first title in 1995, um, that's when it pretty much all started. In the meantime, only four of the teams which haven't been called Bayern or Dortmund have won the league. So that's why it's become this rivalry between Bayern and Dortmund. Um, so it's pretty big um, because usually they're the two top teams. This isn't the case this time around. It wasn't the case two years ago. Um, Bayern are top of the table. Dortmund are, what, down in fifth. Um but I think I think um, Dortmund kind of 
need to win against Bayern this weekend. That's why it's big. They need to kind of get their season going. They are, they're a couple of points behind. If they, if they win, then they put Bayern under pressure. Um, another thing which makes this rivalry big is, you know, every single season Dortmund have a, this rivalry game or two rivalry games against Schalke. Who did Bayern have, right? I mean, 1860 Munich relegated in 04. Um, Nuremberg in 2014, another rival which is Stuttgart, relegated last year. I mean, granted, Augsburg and Ingolstadt in the league—that's not a real rivalry. Um, so, so yeah, Bayern, this, this is why this is why it's pretty big for Bayern as well because it's the only game they have throughout the whole season to actually say, "Hey, look, this is our rival. This, this is where we're going." Bayern almost need it more than Dortmund. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Bayern—I mean, they are top of the table, equal on points with Leipzig, but. <clears throat> 10 games into the season, they've won seven, they've drawn three. I mean, it's not that, not that big of a problem. I think they're doing pretty well under Ancelotti, but it's kind of a, you know, they need to boost. They need to find their confidence again and a win against Dortmund will do that. Well, it's interesting you say that because like you say, they are top of the league, they've yet to lose, they have the best defensive record and only Dortmund have outscored them. But it doesn't seem like everything is all good at Bayern. I think that's just, um, I think that's people prematurely pressing the panic button, if I'm honest with you. I mean, like, like I said, like you said, I mean, seven wins, three draws. That's not a bad start to the season. They've lost one game in the Champions League against Atletico Madrid. Um, no shame in losing to Atletico Madrid. No, absolutely not. I mean, um, I put it this way. I mean, they've got a new coach and it takes time to get used to what your coach wants, wants you to do, right? I mean, these players have had three years of Pep Guardiola, uh, the absolute maniac on the sidelines, yelling at them. <laughs> <laughs> Every single time they were out of position, and now they got by an inch. Exactly. I mean, anything, any, even if they scored a goal, even if they were three 0 up, you'd have Pep Guardiola on the sidelines yelling at them as if they'd gone five 0 down. And you don't have that with Ancelotti. I was actually at the Super Cup game in August um, in Dortmund when Bayern played Dortmund, and uh, the difference is amazing. I was watching Ancelotti just stands there, and he's like an elder statesman. He kind of just watches what's going on in the game, and that was completely different with Guardiola. I mean, he's an absolute maniac. So, other than the other than the sideline demeanor, what do you think has been the main difference between um, Pep's Bayern and uh, Ancelotti's Bayern? I mean, a lot of it. I mean, it has to do with the two differences in in in, in people. I mean, as I said, Pep was like a man possessed on the sideline, um, and at the Super Cup in Dortmund in, in in August, you could just tell the difference between these two coaches. Um, and as we were saying beforehand, if, if any player was out of position, they'd jump around. He'd jump around like a raving lunatic, and that's different than Ancelotti. He he, he seems that to be more cautious. His team seems to be more cautious. Um, and in this four-three-three, which they're playing, you've got Thiago, Alonso, and Vidal somehow in front of the defense and trying to set up the game and move it forward. And that's different from Guardiola. It was more gung ho and move everything forward, and everybody. It's just a completely different style of play, which is why I think that um, Bayern are having a let's say tough time at the moment uh, compared to what they compared to what they were last year. Um, I mean, also with these three in front of defense, I think that uh, that's not exactly good for, for Vidal. I mean, he was pretty explosive under Guardiola last year, and you've just not seen that this season. Um, but on the other hand, I think that players have got more freedom under Ancelotti, which they didn't have. Um, Joshua Kimmich is a perfect example. Last season, he played 23 games, no goals and seven shots on target. This season, in eight games, he's got four goals and 11 shots on target. So it's just a complete difference. He's allowed to move around. He's allowed to be out of position, which wasn't, uh, wasn't allowed to happen last year. I also think, um, you know, the, the difference, it's, it's early days, as you said. And um, I think the, the more cautious approach uh, under Ancelotti will serve them better in the long run in the Champions League which I think is the actual goal as well against the bigger teams because under Pep you know since since Heinkes won the treble you know 
the Champions League has been the big goal and um, that was probably Pep's biggest failure. I don't think it was a failure because you're playing against, you know, Atletico, Barca and Madrid who are phenomenal teams. But I think um, Ancelotti is more of a cup manager. He knows how to win the Champions League, not that Pep doesn't, but I think the cautious approach will help Bayern against bigger and maybe even teams that would be considered better. Going back to the the freedom that Ancelotti uh Uh, gives to 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 his players. Um, he's he's a, such a gentleman. He's such a nice guy to to deal with. Um, you can you cannot find anyone talking shit about him. And he, he managed so many players in so many great teams in in the last um, in the last years. And it, he's 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 amazing. Everyone loves to 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 work with him. And you cannot say the same about Pep. Pep uh, has some uh, people complaining about their methods and. Uh, It's not is he is not an, an easy guy to deal with. If you compare it to to Carlo Ancelotti, is uh, is uh, I I I would rather play for for Ancelotti than for for Pep, to be honest. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a very I, good I, question. If I, if I was a professional player, I, I definitely I would love to to work with with uh, Ancelotti. Do you not think you'd learn more under Pep? I think it would be a better life under Ancelotti, but I think I would learn more under Pep. I don't think so. I mean the the old control freak thing with with Pep uh is a is a fantastic manager and you you can learn a lot from him but it I I think there there's a, a lot um there is a lot of uh advertising when it comes to Pep Ooh, I I'm, I'm not saying he's bad not at all he's a great fantastic manager but there's a lot of uh, uh, advertising concerning Pep and you don't see that with Ancelotti and if you look at what he did it's it's amazing it's fantastic but if you ask anyone I was the best manager in the world I think two in, in, in each three people would say probably Pep Guardiola of course the sex life would suffer under Pep <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't thinking about that, but mm -hmm. definitely I, I would well, be kind of low into that. You, so. you, you gotta, you gotta examine all aspects that go with that, and you're not allowed to really have your mobile phone on you at the club either. Yeah, but I don't care about mobile phone. I would be more concerned about not eating pizza than having a mobile oh, phone. Yeah, that's another thing. Strict yeah. diet. Yeah, he's a hard. He demands a lot, Pep. Yeah, he's a, he's very demanding. Fab, who would you go for? I'd go for Ancelotti because What? he's been. Yeah, he's. <laughs> He's been at the pinnacle for so long and you just have to look at what he's won. He's won Champions League with multiple clubs. He, um, you know, he's won most of what there is to win. So has Pep. But um, if you can win and still have a more harmonious team chemistry, then I'm going to go for that nine times out of ten. Um, so definitely Ancelotti for me. Arguably, um, Ancelotti has done it in trickier circumstances because he's done it with a Milan He's done it with Chelsea. Um, he's going to do it with Bayern. Yeah. I you, think, you think he's yeah. going to do it with Bayern? I don't know. I think he, he has the best uh, chance. He's going to win the league with Bayern. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I unless, mean. Unless Red Bull, you know, pulls off a stunning <laughs> upset. No, but um, I, think, I think he does have a better chance than Pep did to win the Champions League because of his manner, not because they're, he's a much better coach, just because of the way he treats the players. I think that's what the players appreciate as well, though. The fact that he's, like, with Pep, like we were saying beforehand, he yells at you and it's, there's just so much pressure from that coach. Whereas Ancelotti will probably set his players aside and say, look, this is what you need to do. And it's just easier to understand, to actually want to play for this kind of person. I think if you play for Pep, you're tired at some point in time. 
You, yeah. can't, you can't just keep listening to this guy yell at you and be all enthusiastic and you just need a break. And Ancelotti's exactly the polar opposite. And I think that's going to work I, I, best for the players. I assume that if you're working um, with, with Pep, you either love him or you hate him. Yeah. After a while. I mean, in the beginning, you can just, okay, this, this guy's works like that it's not easy but maybe this is the only way but if you if you've been playing football for a while you know there's a lot of ways of winning so it's it must be kind of complicated and i can understand that uh, there are a lot of players that they don't like particularly uh, pep's methods so okay uh, maybe one or two more questions before we move on we have a chat about dortmund what's up with thomas muller uh, he's got a bit of a dry patch, hasn't he, really? Um, There's a dry patch that's going on for quite a bit now. Well, he's yeah. got three goals for the club all season, none of which have come in the league. Have come in the league. He's struggling to hold down a regular spot. And when he does come on, he's not really making much of an impact. But doesn't that happen to the best of the players? I mean, think about it. Thomas Muller's been in the Bayern side since 2009-10, and he's played almost every single game since then. And Bayern isn't a club which you know only plays in the league. They play in every single competition, and they make the fi- they usually reach the final, at least the semi-finals. I mean, since he's been playing, they've reached the semi-finals in the German Cup, at least the semi-finals, and in the Champions League, bar 2010-11, when they lost into Milan in the quarterfinals. So, I mean, that's a lot of games in a season. And... He's always been good. I mean, he might not always score goals, but he's always been good for the team. Um, and I think it was it was bound to happen at some point that he was going to have a bit of a dip in form. Granted, maybe last week he should have scored a goal against San Marino. I think that's what he needs to happen. He needs to score a goal, right? And that will probably you know get the break the cycle. But even if you can't score against San Marino, I mean, uh, he's not very popular in San Marino. He's not days. very popular in San Marino because after the game, he I mean, rightfully so, he said that. Um, well, you asked, we questioned whether or not these these games against sides like San Marino were actually worthwhile playing. Um, the way he meant it was because of you know the fact that they have such a big schedule and they, they, the pitch wasn't particularly good. But of course, um, I think he's a former, former official of the San Marino FA took offence to this and he's like, "Well, you can't even score against lowly opposition like us." So it turned a bit of to a bit of a uh, let's say an international crisis between <laughs> between Thomas Muller and San Marino. But let's I mean, it was all taken a bit out of perspective. Yeah, but it was totally they slagged them all it, for their socks and sandals. Exactly, that, that's true. It, it, the was, it, it was totally uh, deserved because. Uh, I think in, in the previous day, uh, Rumeniga also said that there's no place uh, for professional football uh, in San Marino, and it doesn't make any sense to play San Marino. So, if if I was uh, from San Marino, I would be pretty pissed. This is a lack of respect, a gigantic lack of respect. Yeah, it's just the Bayern arrogance as well. You know, <laughs> they they. Rummenigge was all about the Super League, trying to force you know UEFA to give them more money, and now he's all about talking down on smaller nations whose highlight of the year is playing against these bigger clubs. Uh, sorry, bigger nations such as Germany, um, and like you know, okay, fine. Then Thomas Müller doesn't have to go play. Um, Germany has enough good players, so then he should remove himself from the squad if he feels so strongly. But to suggest that. Germany should not play against the San Marinos or Faroe Islands of the world is complete nonsense to me. But don't you think he has a point with, with, the, with the schedule which they have, with the number of games they play every season? I mean, I mean, it is great to play against San Marino, and I'm sure the people who live in the area want to see it. I mean, that's, that's not really the point of the whole thing, but the, I mean, professional footballers play upwards of 60 games in a season, and at some point they need a bit of a break. He could have done what Ozil did and not you know, join the, join the team. But. Exactly. Right, exactly. Remove yourself from the squad or or have the manager ask Yogi Löw to remove you from the squad for those games. But to pick and choose 
your opponents in qualification defeats the purpose of qualification as well. You have to play against, you know, all UEFA members are part of qualification. You can't just say, oh, San Marino, you guys suck. And you guys haven't <laughs> scored a goal in two years, so you can't you can't take part in qualification for 2018. That doesn't make sense to me. Okay, let's ring up Lars. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. So joining us to talk about all things Dortmund is Lars Pullman from the Yellow Wall and Bleacher Report. Uh, first of all, Lars, how long before we see Usain Bolt playing, uh, using his speed on the wing and pinging balls into Aubameyang? Uh, I don't think we'll ever see that in a competitive setting. Uh, it's really only a marketing gag. As most people know, uh, Usain Bolt is the Puma athlete and uh, Puma also are minority shareholders of Dortmund. So it's really only about marketing. And I guess he will join up with the team at some stage in the winter uh, preparation period uh, for some training sessions. And that's about it. So every FIFA player uh, who has the dream of playing the, the fastest attack in the world with both Aubameyang and Bolt probably has to has to uh, edit the player in himself. Oh, you've you've shattered a, you've shattered a lot of people's dreams there, uh, Lars. Speaking of uh, Aubameyang, he was dropped for the match against Sporting Lisbon. He came back and scored four against Hamburg. But is there any suggestion that he might not be happy with Tuchel or that a a move away might be on the cards at all? I'm pretty sure the the British media will spin it that way. But uh, if you watched the game and saw the celebration after his first goal when he went to Tuchel to embrace him and whisper some nice words into his ear, I imagine uh, there seems to be no real disconnect between the two. And the the fact that he scored four goals and that it wasn't a big issue after uh, the suspension uh, really uh, speaks volumes, I guess. So. If Aubameyang tra- transfers in the in the summer or at some stage in the, nas- in the next few years, then it's not about that and simply about, I guess, money. And there would be no other reason for him to leave, no? No, I I, I don't see one. I mean, he's uh, almost twenty eight years now, so and he hasn't won a, a major trophy with Dortmund. So if he wants to win, say the Champions League, he probably has to uh, switch clubs and. We all know that he's fond of Real Madrid, uh, even though they can't even sign him in the next uh, summer window. But uh, at some stage, I imagine he will leave for an even bigger club than Dortmund just to win some silverware, finally. Okay. Um, during the summer, of course, Tuchel lost three huge and vastly experienced players in Hummels, Gundogan and Mkhitaryan. Uh, he's replaced them with much younger models. With that in mind, how would you assess the season so far? Uh, I think it's gone... Just about as uh, well as most people expected it. Uh, everyone kind of knew that they would stumble out of the blocks a bit because of the, the departures and, as you said, signing so many young guys who uh, didn't have most uh, much experience in the Bundesliga especially. Um, there were a few games where people were disappointed with the performances and I was uh, as well against, for example, Leipzig and Leverkusen. Those were just really poor games and a few of the, the wins even. I mean, uh, looking back at the the five one against Wolfsburg is probably the the most deceiving scoreline I've seen in the Bundesliga in the recent ten years because they were arguably the worst side and had Roman Dürki to thank for uh, for keeping it down to one goal for Wolfsburg, so they could have even lost that game despite scoring five themselves. So yeah, it's been been a bit uh, tough uh, for them this season, but uh, I guess that was to be expected because of those departures in the summer and. 
also the injury uh, situation, they uh, had to shuffle their team a lot. So I expect them to be better now that most of the players are back. Uh, one of the weak spots so far has been the has been the defense. But in your piece for the Bleacher Report today, you had a, an interesting suggestion to remedy it. Could you could you maybe expand upon it for us? Yeah, I'm I'm a huge proponent, always have been, of the back three. And Dortmund looked really good in the back three in the second half of last season. And I think they uh, conceded uh, 23 goals in the first half of last season in the Bundesliga, and then 11 in the second half when they switched to a back three for many of those games. And I think uh, it could help them again this season, especially also in the build-up phase where without Gundogan and Hummels, Weigel is really the only one left to procure the ball and uh, make sure the ball gets uh, into the into the opponent's half. And playing both uh, Matthias Ginter and Mark Bartra, who have uh, done pretty well, I would say, on the ball this season, would probably help in that regard as well. Um, as for the game itself, should we expect any surprises from Tuchel or... Are there any injury concerns ahead of the game? No, as I said, they are the healthiest they've been all season and probably will be all season. Um, even Marco Reus could make his long-awaited debut this season. Uh, as for the surprises, uh, Tuchel usually has one up his sleeves against Bayern. Uh, if we look back at the two games in the Bundesliga last season, the, the first game in October, they lost 5-1 with Lukas Piszczek on at left-back, for example, and uh, a few other surprises. And then in the second game, they chose Eric Durm uh, as an extra defender to move into a five-man defense uh, when Bayern had the ball, which, uh, remember, the Pep Guardiola was their coach, so they had the ball most of the time. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see another surprise, but I can't really put my finger to it. They uh, have the agony of choice for the first time, really, this season, so I would expect and hope for just the best 11 men he can find. And where do you think he'll look to attack Bayern? If we look at Bayern's uh, three games where they dropped points in the Bundesliga this season against Cologne, Frankfurt and Hoffenheim before the international break, especially the last two, uh, Frankfurt and Hoffenheim, really pressed Bayern high up the pitch. They uh, attacked them in the middle of the park where the team's Carlo Ancelotti doesn't have the right combination of players yet to this point. And uh, especially Hoffenheim in the first half, they were really aggressive. They played with the three, uh, with the back three and really pushed high up the pitch and uh, set them under a lot of pressure and that helped uh, them gain control of uh, midfield for uh, large stretches of the game and even though Bayern uh, should have probably won the game by four goals just uh, going by the last 10 minutes or so, it probably serves as a blueprint for Dortmund uh, to be as aggressive as uh, Hoffenheim and Frankfurt were. Okay, uh, before we let you go, can we get a, a quick prediction for the game? I'm feeling strangely confident from a Dortmund perspective for some reason, which uh, indubitably will come back to haunt me uh, come Saturday evening. But uh, right now I would say uh, 3-2 for Dortmund. That was Lars Pullman from the Yellow Wall and Bleacher Report. He's going for a 3-2 to Dortmund. Nick, would you be, would you be so confident if you're a Dortmund fan? Don't see why not. I mean, I've watched the game in August when they're in Dortmund. I think playing that stadium just makes a big difference, and that's something which Bayern are going to have a problem with. So I can definitely see Dortmund winning. Andre, I think they're going to draw. Uh, it's going to be a draw, and in the end of the of the match day, we will see Leipzig first, completely alone by themselves. Good. I like Leipzig. <laughs> <laughs>
I think Dortmund have a chance, but they're not going to score three goals against Bayern. Uh, if they win, it'll be you know like a one nil or two one. Um, but I do agree with Andre. I think it's going to be a draw. Okay. Elsewhere in England, the most interesting game of the weekend takes place at the Emirates as Arsenal welcome Manchester United to North London. Fab. Yep. I thought we could kick this section off with a little quiz for you. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> Let's okay. do it. Three questions. <laughs> sure. Multiple choice. Right. And if. If you folks at home or you folks in the studio want to join in, let me know. What happened to Rude Van Nistelrooy's penalty at Old Trafford in 2003? Did it hit the bar? Did it hit the back of the net? Did it hit the post or was it saved? Oh, it's... He didn't score. I know that for sure. Um, that was the one where Martin Keown yelled at him, right? Got all up in his grill. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that pissed me off so much. I, I, was, I was sitting at home and I was, I think, what, like 10... And I just wanted to kill Martin Keown. Uh, um, I think I'm gonna go with. I, I think I'm, I'm gonna go with it. Hit the crossbar. Yes. It was yes. Crossbar. Get it in. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but question number two: Before Danny Welbeck, who was the last player to move from Manchester to North London? What? From Manchester United to North London. Oh right. <laughs> uh, was it Mikel Silvestre, Gabriel Heinze, Jim Layton? Or David Platt? Sylvester. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah, that was easy enough. Okay. <laughs> Number three, your final question. You're on 100% so far. This is great. Which Arsenal player was sent off in the 8-2 Manchester United win at Old Trafford in 2011? Was it Robin Van Persie? Ashley Cole? Carl Jenkinson? Or Francis Coquelin? Coquelin? <sighs> was it? Andre, you're shaking your head. I think it was Van Persie. I have to agree because I mean, Cole was at Chelsea then, so it can't be Chelsea. I can't believe all three of you got it wrong. Really? Yeah. Fra uh, Carl Jenkins. Oh, I was going to really? say him. I was going to say him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Jesus. Two for three. That's not bad. <laughs> Two out of three. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. Okay. So getting to the game at hand, Arsenal have not lost in 10 games, seven of which they've won. They've scored more goals than United. They've conceded fewer goals. Mesut Ozil is in the form of his life. Alexis Sanchez is in the form of his life. You must be pretty worried. I'm not because it's Arsenal. You know they they always <laughs> yeah. you know, okay. they they always find a way to um you know screw up screw up in the yeah. big games and uh you know last game in the Premier League against Arsenal we won three two at Old Trafford uh, this weekend's game is again at Old Trafford um, and United have put together several I mean if you kind of disregard the Chelsea result they put together some very very solid uh, performances. And that's why I think uh, we do not have to be worried. Which player would you be most worried about, though, from Arsenal? Is it Ozil? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think he got a break over, you know, this week. Um, he didn't play for Germany. And I think he'll be fresh uh, and, you know, ready to kind of control the game. And he will be the player that we have to shut down. Okay. Andre, if you were an Arsenal fan, would you be worried? Uh, or, sorry, if you were a Manchester United fan? Man United fan. Would you be worried? I would definitely, yeah. You mentioned you mentioned uh, Uzil and Sanchez, mm -hmm. but uh, Walcott is probably in his best shape in the last I don't know, I would say ever? five years. Ever, I would say. Yeah, probably ever. Yeah. And uh, Iobi has been fantastic this season. So these four guys are quite menacing for 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 Man United. So yeah, uh, I would be quite concerned. I think. The concern or the only thing to be concerned about is not the, the opponent, not Arsenal, 
but the injuries and the state of the back line at United, I think... This is something if, I did want to talk to you about. Right. Because United are... There's no Smalling. There's no Bailly. Shaw might not be fit. Right. And uh, Valencia is just coming back from an injury as well. He, he's a slight doubt. So I think it really depends on how that backline performs. And it could be that one mistake or an individual error costs United. Who would you play? Yeah, who would you play in the backline? Oh, line? man. Um, I would not play Jones and Rojo together. Um, but I don't Maybe know. Maybe Blind in the center? I think, I think Blind's partnered with one of Rojo or Jones. Ooh. Ooh. You, you, you'd have to go with one of them. I <laughs> yeah. mean, you could slide Carrick back, but then you're playing with really two central midfielders in defense. No, you need Carrick, you need Carrick in that midfield. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I would probably play with Blint and then one of Rojo and um, Jones. Uh, Shaw, I think after you, Mourinho's comments about you know the fitness and injuries, I think, I think he will push Shaw to play. Um, and then, and then one of Valencia or Darmian on the right. Okay. In in the back. We I will come back to the injuries in a second, but just that you mentioned Shaw and Mourinho's comments in the press as well as about Chris Smalling. Do you have his back on this one or is it sort of unsavory behavior by by Mourinho? I think cuz it turns out Smalling has a broken toe. Right. I think Mourinho is the you know the type of manager who demands he's he's a little bit like Pep in that regard that he demands 200% from his players. He demands that they play hurt a little like you know a little like Klopp's comments uh on Sturridge mm -hmm. Sturridge has to learn whether you know it's just a pain or an actual injury um but to be honest nobody outside of the uh medical team and the United staff will know if it really is an injury but I feel like if Mourinho says something like that it's definitely an injury that they could play with I don't think he would say that about an injury they can't play with so you you don't you don't mind him calling at his own players in public? No, I not in that regard, uh, or not, you know, over that uh, topic. I think that it will push them to prove him wrong, which I think some players actually need to. They need to step up. Uh, regarding Luke Shaw in particular, um, I think if we've been watching Man United so far, and we can see that Luke Shaw is not hundred percent. Is not fit. He's coming back from an incredible exactly. He, he needs he needs some time. So I I, I think that. Mourinho was too harsh on on Shaw in particular. If he's not 100% fit, maybe he shouldn't play. But it's quite dramatic when you look at um, the amount of money that Man United spent uh, this summer and you end up with this back four f to, to play uh, against Arsenal. It, I think it's quite dramatic. It's not the kind of players that you would expect uh, on a team like Man United. Such a big team with uh, such a Ah, fragile back four. Well, I think Mourinho did want to buy more defenders in the summer, but was somehow thwarted. I don't know. Right, and he only, you know, he only brought in one player, and uh, the two our two best central defenders are both injured. So it is definitely, I, I think it can be classified as uh, an injury crisis at the moment. Um, so while the backline does look fragile, it is you know they are extraordinary circumstances i think that have caused that but just re your point on shaw i think shaw it, it depends what you mean by fit i think he's lacking match fitness but i think he's 100 percent healthy and i think the only way he's going to get that match fitness is by playing matches obviously so i think 
you do just need to let him play and just, you know, just push him to get back that match fitness. He's not going to get that match fitness training or playing with the reserves. It has to be competitive games. I could see him playing Ashley Young. He, yeah, I mean, he, he played Ashley Young. To counteract that speed from Arsenal. Right. And, and that's where the discussion would lead, you know, is Mourinho going to try and counteract and kind of neutralize the threat that Arsenal poses or the Arsenal players pose? Or is he going to try and force his game on Arsenal? And I think we know Mourinho will probably try and counteract that. So Ashley Young would be a decent shout as well, seeing that he played against Swansea. There's no Zlatan Ibrahimovic who's suspended and right. Wayne Rooney is nursing a knock or or hangover, <laughs> as, as they call it these days. Um, let's have a word about this because this is the most ridiculous story. I know it's a quiet week for the press, but this is the most ridiculous story. For those who missed out, Wayne Rooney uh, had a night off, went for a couple of pints with, as you know, you know, he's more than able to take as a fit athlete. And all of a sudden this turns into a national crisis. And I want to read you <laughs> a headline I saw on the Daily Mail today. Uh, Rooney can't resist the buzz of the party. So how can he lead his country after the latest drinking incident? <laughs> I shit you not, that's an actual headline. <laughs> I mean, he didn't do it's, anything illegal. It's nonsense. Exactly. No. And it, it wasn't like he was playing. If he was playing, then sure, this would be a big deal or a bigger deal. But, he, you know, how many times have you been at a party and somebody snapped a photo of you and, yeah, you had a bit to drink, but you, you know, you weren't totally focused on the camera and you right. look a lot more mm -hmm. drunk than you actually were. And I think this is definitely the case here. And then, of course, you know, being photographed with two women, one of whom is wearing his kit. People, you know, always oh, got a wife and children at home, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But he's just blowing off steam. He's probably frustrated that he can't play for his country. And, um, and yeah, and then the photo was taken. I'll tell you what, um, if I were getting married and Wayne Rooney happened to stop through the party, I'd want to get a photo. In the same. Although, <clears throat> if Taylor Swift came through, that'd be more interesting for me. I know she gate crashes weddings every once in a while. <laughs> no, the, the only thing I, I I really couldn't understand about the whole thing: why would you wear the England shirt? On? <laughs> yeah, I did think that too. <laughs> is is this kind of a, a thing? Crashing we weddings wearing a, a, an England jersey? Oh, he, it, he earned, right, he earns enough to you know, yeah, just, buy some nice clothes. Exactly. Yeah. Are you saying the England kid isn't nice? I mean, maybe he just wanted to make sure people recognized him. Yeah, because you... He has to worry about that. But do you think that was his wedding gift? Or, or that, exactly, you know? That was nice of him, yeah. Thoughtful, yeah. he brought along a wedding gift. So we'd expect Rashford to start then. Yeah. Um, Should he start? I've got an interesting stat for you. It would be 265 days after he scored twice against Arsenal on his Premier League debut. Then, then he definitely should start if, if that's the stat we're going <laughs> to go sure. with. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think he will be starting. Whether that's up top or not is, uh, you know, to be seen. Um, Martial is another player who might feature. Um, and Memphis scored two goals for the Netherlands, so who knows? He might get a run out as well. One of which was a very nice free kick. Yeah. Very nice free kick. Um, Nick, Wenger has never beaten Mourinho in the Premier League. Do you think this weekend is going to be the first time? Probably not. I'm a big, um, I believe in uh, curses. I think Wenger's definitely cursed when it comes to Mourinho. Um, regardless, it doesn't matter what he does. He's just not going to be able to beat Mourinho. It's yeah. just, it's, it's, a mind, it's a mind game, isn't it really? And I think that, that also conveys to his players. And they know that he's never won 
against Mourinho. Um, oh, you think that passes on to the players? I think it does, yeah. yeah. I mean, of course it does. I mean, he, I mean, Wenger needs to be confident enough to be able to say, we're going to win. And if he, he knows in the back of his head, they haven't done that, or his team hasn't done that against the Mourinho side yet. I mean, like, that's going to convey to his players. Of course it is. I think this is a, a one in the life chance to 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 beat uh, Man United and to beat Mourinho in particular for for Wenger. Uh, I think, uh, as we we said, there are, there are a lot of problems with uh, the lineup well, to, to, with with Man United, and uh, Arsenal are feeling confident. They they perform well, not amazingly, but well against Tottenham, and uh, I can see them beating beating uh, Man United at Old Trafford. Fab, I think we know your answer. 3 0 win. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Continuing our theme of one question per week from a listener, we have a question for, uh, for you guys. Yeah. It's from Leron underscore TG. And he asks, um, Could I ask you for your favorite stadium to visit? So I, I had a bit of time to think about this because I knew. So I'll give you mine right off the bat is the Juventus Stadium. It's arguably the best stadium I've ever been to. Brilliant yeah. atmosphere. Well designed for football, very easy to get to from this city. And uh, I saw a great match where they beat Palermo by a couple of goals. So I'm going to go with the Juventus Stadium. I'm failing that the Brandywell in Derry, but that's more for uh, <laughs> that's more for my own personal reasons. Um, St. James's Park. I really enjoy going there. Newcastle. Oh, yeah. I've got a funny story about St. James's Park. Would you like to hear it? My dad uh, used to do a bit of work for Nike who were based in St. James's Park and he went over, or not, we're based in Newcastle, sorry, not St. James's Park. And he went over with some people and uh, one of them was a big Newcastle fan and he, um, he and his friends told the steward that um, one of the guys was a big Newcastle United fan but only had a few months to live so could they, go to, could they get a picture taken on the pitch? And the steward let them get a picture taken on the pitch. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> See? Fantastic um, locals, fantastic stadium. <laughs> Dre? Um, I would pick probably um, Vallecas, uh, Rayos. I, I knew you'd go for somewhere hipster. Right. No, no, it's it's uh, it's it's a very different feeling uh, if you go to that stadium. It's not a big stadium, not at all. It's, I would say it's probably 16,000 16, people or something. Uh, but you, you actually feel something different on, on that stadium. And um, you, you get a mix of professional football meets uh, amateur because the stadium is is not big, it's, it's tiny, and uh, it's not really top of the line. It's not really comfortable, but uh, you get a very special feeling watching a, a Rayo match there. So, Fab? I really like Hasfau Stadium. I think the yeah. atmosphere there is very nice. Um, obviously, quite modern because it was, uh, I think, built for the 2006 World Cup. Um, and the walk there is very nice as well. I like walking through the forest. There's also a lovely walk to Craven Cottage. I've never been. In, never been. Yeah, in, in West London, you go through a very a very beautiful part of West London with some nice red brick houses and there's a lovely park that leads you through. I'll tell you what's the worst. We're not asking, but I'll tell you what's the worst. The Camp Nou. I agree. Rubbish. It's, a, it's Absolutely a, rubbish. It's a terrible experience. Yeah. Uh, speaking of stadiums, the, at the Vincente Calderon this weekend, we have the big game in Spain, Real Madrid against Atletico Madrid. Real undefeated this season, top of the league, 27 points, whereas Atletico hanging back in fifth behind Sevilla, Villarreal, Barcelona, and of course Madrid. All of which would suggest, Andre, things are not going to plan for Diego Simeone at the moment. It's their worst start under Simeone. 
It is, but I don't feel like this is really important, to be honest. Well, I want to hit the panic button here. You won't let me hit the panic button. Sorry, sorry. Uh, don't panic. I don't, no, I don't think it's it's a, a made massive thing for, for, for Atleti, to be honest. I think I think there are... Uh, they're far better at, at right now. They are better than 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 Madrid because they don't have. Cross. But the table says they aren't. No, but I'm talking about the the, the match itself and okay. the, the the lineup. They don't have uh, Kroos. Um, they don't have Casemiro, and Morata is also out for a month. So, <sighs> Zizou is gonna have a lot of problems to to find a lineup. But why are why are Atletico struggling? What's been what's been wrong with them? Uh, some inconsistency against uh, 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 playing away from home mostly. Well, they uh, have had some hard away games, haven't they? Yeah, they yeah, it is true. But uh, playing against Real Sociedad, you you can spot it wasn't a bad match for for uh, Simeone in general, but there was a lack of concentration in some key moments and they conceded two goals which is something that you don't see very often they don't concede two goals very often and they did uh, against uh, Real Sociedad um, but they they have the everyone everyone is is fit and Griezmann okay yeah, yeah. It, it, it was some fatigue but it's is okay and it, I think he's gonna start so uh, I, I would bet an Atleti to, to be honest you don't want an Atleti win. Yeah, and all the the, the mystical thing behind the, the, the chance of being the last uh, derby played in at Vicente Calderon, they might play again for for the Copa del Rey or, or even for Champions League. We don't know, but it's going to be the, their last derby in, uh, in in Calderon for the league, and I think that that will will serve as a boost to everyone at Atleti. Okay, how are things at Real Madrid? I think they are, they are they feel confident, but uh, when you don't have uh, Casemiro and Kroos, and it, the, probably Zizou is going to play uh, Modric, he's coming back from uh, from uh, from an injury, an injury. He was sidelined for a lot of time, and it's going to be a very weird uh, midfield with probably Kovacic, Modric, and Isco, and we all know how how Isco struggles with. Uh, Although all the defenses, defensive process is not is not his uh, best, so I think the the the, the midfield, the Atletis midfield is 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 uh, pretty pretty good, and um, that's where the game's going to be won and lost. Isn't exactly, it? Yeah. definitely, and um, um, as I said, Atleti will control the match. I think honestly, they will control the match. They they won't they won't get uh, they won't close down and wait for for Real Madrid. I was um, <clears throat> I was looking at a combined eleven on Sky Sports the other day, uh, based on current form, and Cristiano Ronaldo's name was nowhere to be seen. It makes sense. Has he been that bad? He is not scoring so often. So if he's not scoring so often, you don't get the those lovely uh, extra points. So it makes sense that it is not on the on the on the lineup on the. Okay, because he has seven in his last three games for Portugal. Yeah. He's been good for Portugal, but just pants for Real Madrid. So it's the opposite of Messi. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. He has got a shiny new contract, though. Yeah. Two shiny new contracts. The the one with Real Madrid and the, the other one with Nike. How much is he earning with Real Madrid? Oh, the numbers uh, reportedly... Do we really want to know? <laughs> yeah, reportedly some... some uh, 24 million 
it, it's it's way way too insane. It's uh, look, he's got nothing on Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Swift earned 170 million last year. Wow, per hour, per hour, that's nineteen thousand dollars. Per ten minutes, it's three thousand two hundred and thirty dollars. Per minute, it's three hundred and twenty-three dollars. Per second, it's five point three eight dollars. Taylor Swift, everybody. It was this uh, after taxes or? Because that I don't know. <laughs> I stole the numbers from BuzzFeed. I didn't <laughs> quite get a chance to ask them. Uh, so you uh, you're going then with the Atletico win, and you're very confident about that. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, did you want to have? We're going to wrap it up pretty quickly here. But did you want to have a quick word about the Milan derby? Oh yeah, um, it's uh, it's going to be a very very interesting match to watch. It's going to be uh, purely uh, debut debut. This is his first game in charge. Yeah, yes, yeah. it is. What a and, way to start! Uh, what a great match yeah. uh, to start with, and um, it's it's uh, it's really funny to see how things changed uh, recently with both teams, uh, two opposite. Uh, ideas of what football should be uh with inter we had a lot of money but they don't know what what to do with the money uh with milan no money at all and they're trying something different they found someone to lead the project and someone with a real project which is uh, uh montella and uh for the first time in so many years uh, we feel like there's probably something happening uh with milan they're probably uh, coming back from the ashes slowly and uh, they didn't spend a lot of money, but they bought the right players. And their youth, their youth players that they bring And their youth are players are great. quite quite good. Um, so, there, it, Inter at the moment is just a huge, huge mess and uh, we still need to wait and see. Um, maybe around January we can say if... The, the new manager is the right appointment, to be honest, because I have some doubts. But uh, I would bet on Milan to to win this. And if they win, I can see them uh, fighting for a place in the Champions League. Like, Whoa. yeah. Okay. That's all from us today. My thanks to Andre, Fab, Nick, Lars and our producer Damien. If you have anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch, you can hit us up on Facebook at OneFootball. Thanks for listening.